Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out at our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Good morning. Y'all all right? So I think you probably, like me, were disappointed in uh, what happened this week in the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and you might have even been a little surprised, even though if you listen to um, commentators, they've been predicting it for a while. But even given that, I, I think I still was kind of caught off guard. Um, and the best way to kind of describe that feeling was that uh, not long ago, I went into a store and they uh, informed me that I needed to wear a mask. And I, you know, I, we've been doing that for about 100 years now. And so, um, and, but my, I found myself just before I could think about it, I said, are we still doing that? And I kind of felt that a little bit about what I saw uh, this week. Uh, are we still doing that? Are we still invading other people's countries and shooting people and stuff like that? See, now the reason that I thought that is, uh, I, my first thought that was uh, during, I think, the first Gulf War. And some of you aren't old enough to know what that was. But uh, there was one even before that called Vietnam. And for some reason, after Vietnam, I believed that we would no longer engage in ground troops and war. I, I don't know why I thought that. I thought we had learned something. And, uh, and so when that happened, I thought, are we doing that? Are, are we still doing this? Uh, those reactions, if you had anything like that, uh, may be based on a false assumption. And it, it is pervasive in our society, in our culture, and frankly, it kind of invades our lives without us being aware of it. And the, the thought is this, that the reason there are bad things happening in the world is because people aren't well enough educated or well enough understood. And the more we become educated, the more we understand what causes us to do things, uh, and the more accepting we are of each other, the less bad things are going to happen. And, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't love each other and understand each other and, and people be prosperous and educated, but prosperity, education, understanding do not take away evil. The man perpetrating the evil right now in Eastern Europe is uh, well-educated, well-healed, and still invading another country and killing hundreds of people. So what happens, so I heard a definition of reality recently, it's, it's what you run into when you are wrong. It's what you run into when you're wrong. For example, let's say I, I wanted to play a little basketball, take a jump shot. I probably could get the shot, it's the jump part I can't do so much anymore. The reality is in my mind, I could fly. I could still get off the ground. The reality is when I find out I'm wrong and these feet don't leave the ground. It doesn't matter how much I believe I can fly. It doesn't matter how long I believe I can fly. When I hit reality, I realize I was wrong. I think there are moments in our lives, in our history, in world history, where we have to stop and realize that we were wrong. And what do we need to learn about reality in that moment? Now, I'm not going to talk about geopolitics. I'm not an expert on that. Um, I actually thought about doing a talk called When to Go to War. But it wasn't justification of war. It actually had to do with me and you. Because you and I probably can't affect much other than pray for what's happening there. Um, but we can learn from it. And so here is my thought for today. I'm going to expand on it for about two hours, but the thought is 
the thought is, is that we need to not be so naive about the world we live in and realize that there is evil that can't be explained purely by psychology or sociology, that can't be educated out of us. We will probably never, not probably, we will never ever grow or evolve beyond it. All of those thoughts are based on a false assumption that all evil is, is, um, uh, is um, at, not atmospheric. What's the word I'm looking for? It comes from the world around us, right? So if, if you uh, are evil, uh, you're a bad person, your mom didn't hug you enough when you were a kid. Well, that may be true. That may contribute. But my problem is that I've been to places in the world uh, where I have seen evil on such a scale that there is no amount of psychological explanation that can explain what happened there whether it's meeting child soldiers who were forced to murder their own parents in the most awful ways. I won't be too graphic about that. This morning I was answering an email from one of my friends in Africa. And I was reminded that an incident that, that happened there and kind of the, the, the aftermath and the learning from that was. Um, he said to us there was this, this incident in which so I'm doing, I'm doing an outdoor event. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I didn't come here to get, it's not a photo op for me. I brought doctors, I brought nurses, I brought dentists. We're here to help. We're not here to get photo ops. Just, no, one of the things you can do to help is you, use your gifts, speak to the crowd. So they set up this platform in this ghetto called Cotway. And, and there's people doing drug deals and there's garbage everywhere. And there's guys with shotguns behind me. It's just weird. I'm freaked out. Corey's the only thing that kept me calm because Corey just stepped up and owned the crowd and got him on his side with his music. And I was able to speak, but during my speaking, something weird happened. And some of you may have been on this trip, there's about 50 of us. A guy comes in and he is just, he, he looks not just disheveled, but dirty, awful, just, and he's just acting weird and just out of control and all this stuff. And, uh, and you and I would say, you know, that he was a homeless person with mental health issues. It, and so as the evening ended, the other pastors that invited me and some of the other pastor, local pastors went and laid their hands on him and prayed for him. And I'm thinking, oh, that's nice. Pray for the guy. You know. um, the next night, we went to uh, do the same thing. And, and they, they introduced me to a gentleman who was well-dressed, uh, suit, tie, hair combed, clean, clean-shaven. And they said, do you recognize this gentleman? I said, I have no idea who this is. You know. They said, it's the guy from last night. I said, What? Just the guy from last night. I'm thinking that's the fastest therapy I've ever. <laughs> they said, "Oh, we cast demons out of him last night." Uh, what? So no, and they started laughing at me. That's hilarious. They said, "You guys in the West, you guys in America, you, you just you, we do this all the time." That, that hut you drive by every day—that's a witch doctor's hut. We, we know exactly. See, here's the problem. In the West, you guys, you, you don't believe in the spirit world anymore. You don't believe there's good and evil. You don't believe that. You're not in touch with it. So when you see it, it freaks you out. Now, when I told you the guy was demon-possessed, what did you first think? Well, he probably had multiple uh, personality disorder. He, he probably had... You were trying to explain it in purely material terms, as I was, by the way. I said, well... And then over the years, I've worked with those guys. They weren't kidding. They left. So now we do this all the time. We cast demons out. It's not a problem. People get healed. Now, I don't know 
what you think about that. But here's what I'm trying to open up your mind to. The possibility that the evil, at least some of the evil in the world, is not self-generated. It's not generated by bad parenting. It's not generated by, by uh, no opportunities or lack of education. 20th century is the bloodiest century in the history of the world. We were highly educated. Technology was advancing daily. I just would open your mind to the possibility that evil, some evil anyway, comes from another source. You see, it's interesting that I sound I don't know if you guys remember Nabil Qureshi. You may remember him, the late Nabil Qureshi, powerful guy, a Muslim who had come to faith in Jesus. And we begin to ask him about some of the issues happening in the Middle East and different parts of the world having to do with Islam and radical Islam and so on. And so I asked him, I said, do you think it's evil? And he said, well, not everybody who's a Muslim is evil. I said, that's not what I ask you. I ask you, do you think that what is happening is evil? He said this, and this is, all, this is what he said. He said, I love the way he said it. He said, I believe there is a mind behind it. So today, uh, you're sitting here and you're going, oh, I don't know, and I wish you wouldn't talk about this stuff. The, there is a war happening in the world. It has the potential to expand. It has the potential to wake us up, I hope. And we have run into a wall in which we just realized we can't jump. And we can't run away, and we need to learn something. So today I want to teach you something of how the Bible views good and evil and the sources of evil. Because I think what is happening there is evil. Now, if you're here today and you don't believe in evil, I I just want to give you four things to think about. I'm not going to ridicule you or make fun of you in any way. Um, Is it possible that you are being simplistic or naive about the world in which you live? Because we can explain a lot of the world we live in doesn't mean we can explain everything about the world we live in in just the material world. We can't always point to this. I know, I know a family, a great family, wonderful parents, several kids, and one of the kids is just awful. Just awful. The other kids are outstanding, wonderful human beings. And this one kid is, now I'm not talking about ornery. I'm talking about mean it stabbed me in the back one time with a pen. I'm glad it was a pen. I'm glad there was nothing else handy. For no reason. So I don't think we can just say everything is because of bad parenting. Something else must be going on. Um, we are a little too simplistic or naive about... Cody was telling me that some famous person, I don't know who it was, has written a poem. A poem to Putin. If I was your mother, I would have loved you better. Okay, I said I wasn't going to ridicule anybody, but that one's really hard to resist. Uh, the second thing I would say to you, if, if you don't accept that there might be uh, an evil beyond just bad parenting or psychological or sociological reasons, you may be being culturally narrow. I have seen the similar phenomenon in Africa, in Asia, in Central America that I just described a moment ago in that service. And so what you're saying is because you live in the West and you may be more educated, that there is no wisdom to be found among other people in other places. That seems kind of out of vogue these days, doesn't it? I wouldn't want you to be accused of being culturally narrow. 
And yet, for some reason, people in other places seem to find the ability to bring healing and hope to individuals' lives by understanding that there is a spiritual realm beyond the material. Number three, do you believe in God? Ninety-some percent of us believe in God. Well, then, isn't it inconsistent to not also believe that there is an opposing force? Not an equal force, but an opposing force that has a, a, is of a supernatural nature. Number four, the Bible says that you'll never understand, let alone be able to defeat evil in your own life or your family, your city, or in the world until you come to grips with its origins. So today I want to talk from a passage in Ephesians. And it's in Ephesians 6, and it's a very familiar passage. And I want us to grapple with the meaning of what what Paul is teaching about the real essence of why evil happens. It's in uh, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, by the way, finally, finally, this is like, this is like the ultimate the bottom line. This is what you got to do. Be strong. This is kind of a, a call to arms. Be strong. Be strong. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against devil's schemes. Now, there's a couple of interesting things here. Take a stand, which is mean not give up any more ground, against the devil's schemes. So the devil, he's referring to an individual. Now, the Bible teaches us that it is a fallen angel who has an army of other fallen angels who, because of pride, were cast out of heaven and now seek only to kill and destroy. You say, I thought we did away with the devil, with the little tail and the red eye. Yeah. Uh, Screwtape Letters uh, by C.S. Lewis says, yeah, one of the great tactics to get people uh, to, to give in to evil is to teach them that it doesn't exist. It goes on. Um, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Now, in this passage, he has given us an understanding of where evil comes from and how to do it. So who is, who is he talking about here? He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the evil, the angel that was cast down. Um, so let me just read a passage for you also in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, such as there is no real evil beyond just what we subgenerate, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. It is a given in Scripture that there is an evil one who wants to destroy you. Um, so the devil schemes. The word schemes means strategies. Uh, methodia in the Greek methods is methods. And one of the things that helps is, so, so I've known people over the years who, who um, um, have done weird things with this. The, so they'll start seeing demons behind every bush. <laughs> I had a guy one time uh, show up to my house an hour late. He said, the demon of misdirection got him lost. Said, no, you're an idiot. Use a map. But um, it, it, and so when, when we read about these strategies, it helps us to understand that there are strategies that derail us. There are strategies that take us, try to move us further from God or cause us the God to believe something wrong about God or God's non-existence. And so his schemes are often, his portfolio of tools to derail you uh, are based on two errors. 
uh, and uh, uh, several things. Let me just make the point, clear point that there are two errors we need to avoid. One is underestimating um, Satan, not only his existence, but, um, but his ability to influence us. So first of all, he says, he uses these words in verse 12, rulers, authorities, powers, uh, spiritual forces. What Paul is trying to say to us is don't underestimate the influence of evil in your life the evil one or his henchman or whatever, don't underestimate that. Much of what gets us in trouble, where do those thoughts come from anyway? Where do those opportunities come from? Where does that come from? And, and we don't have to always go around, oh, there was a guy named Flip Wilson many years ago, he was a comedian, and he used to always say, the devil made me do it. Well, yeah, but he also had to own those things too, right? So one of the things is don't underestimate the power of evil and the presence of evil. And, and don't overestimate them. Um, one is kind of a substition. The other is a superstition. Verse 13, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able, day of evil means when temptation comes or challenges comes or, or a crisis comes, um, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. It doesn't say that you might stand. You, maybe it says you will stand because God is greater. This is where knowing God's word helps. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's a reference to good versus evil. We who are in Christ, to a relationship with Christ, will stand. And in, in this passage, when it talks about struggling, uh, the word struggle is to wrestle. It's, it, it, it's not far off shooting from a distance. It is hand-to-hand combat. It is going to happen in your life, and you're going to have to fight evil in your own life. Now, it might not be Putin, but it might be the temptation to do something with someone that you shouldn't. You will have to struggle. So how do you, so we, we kind of know the who. How does he kind of get at us? And so the scripture calls Satan or the devil uh, many number of things. He, said, he teaches much about his, his lack of character, not his character. We learn about God's character and Satan's lack of character. He's a liar. He's a murderer. Um, and so one of his greatest tools, but he's not a creator, by the way. And this is an important theological point. God can create a thing. Satan can only pervert a thing. Okay? God created sex. What does Satan do with it? He perverts it. Right? Uh, God created, um, I don't know, uh, beauty. What happens? Satan perverts it. And so we need to remember that he does this in in a specific way. Satan's a liar. He uses lies. And we need uh, discernment and uh, and understandings of how he does that. So there's... um, Tim Keller has an interesting talk about this in which he quotes some uh, pastors, about three of them, from the 1600s, Puritan pastors from the 1600s. You think that what we're dealing with is new. It is as old as, as man and has been talked about and written about over the years. It's only today that we try to deny that evil exists. So there's two ways Satan tries to get us, and it's through lies. And, and, and he lies to us. And, give, and by lying to us, he causes us temptation, uses temptation and accusation. Temptation is, that, um, is kind of a low view of God's holiness and a high view of what you deserve and entitlement. I heard a country song this week, and, uh, and it was a good song, actually. It almost sounded kind of like Tennessee whiskey, which I don't drink. But anyway... Um, don't even listen to that, that word. Um, so, and in it is said, it, it was about a, a, a lover who had left or a mate or whatever, who had left and, and the, the, I think the line was, I hope 
you find who you are before I find someone else. So you know it's a country song. And, uh, <laughs> and in it, it said, it had this refrain, I know the love I deserve. I know the love I deserve. And at first I thought, oh, it's a cute song. It's a healthy understanding. of. And then I realized that it's based on entitlement. Do you get love because you deserve it? Did my wife marry me because I deserved her to marry me? She married me because I fooled her into thinking I was a really cool guy. <laughs> so there is this challenge in life, and I think the evil one uses it is a too high view of self and a too low view of self. By the way, it directly corresponds with a too high view of self and a too low view of God, right? Versus a too low view of self and again a too low view of God, but a different aspect of God. There are two aspects that he plays on. One is God's holiness and the other is God's love. And, and so on this side, we've got um, temptation, which, which says, I deserve this. I can do this. I can get away with this. And God's not that worried about holiness. God's good with me doing this. He's okay with me doing it, which, which says God is all love, all forgiving, and therefore I can just do whatever I want. And then there's another side I'll get to in a moment. So let me just give you some ideas. And then remember, this is from the 1600s. Here it is. Um, uh, and, and this guy, uh, so it's a, it's a, a minimize God's holiness, too high view of self. And he just gives us some examples. There's a few, he has like 70 of them, I think, Tim Keller says. Uh, evil one shows us the bait and hides the hook. In other words, he just puts all the pleasure, the immediate pleasure right in front of us and tries to get us distracted from long-term consequences. Another one is rationalized sin is a virtue. I'm not greedy, I'm just thrifty. I'm not nosy, I'm just concerned. I'm not an alcoholic, I'm just really social. This is from the 1600s, by the way. Um, showing the sins of other Christians, especially leaders. Well, I'm not so bad. By the way, the Bible never once says compare yourself to anybody else except Jesus. And that's only to drive you to Jesus for help. Um, what about this? overstressing God's mercy. He'll forgive me. It's his job. Um, making us bitter over suffering. I deserve better because, you know, I mean, I deserve better. I des- I, that's an entitlement thing. Um, showing us how bad people are prospering. Well, they're doing it right, doing it the right way, doing God's way. Ain't working. They're making more money. Forget this. Again, short-term pleasure, long-term pain. Uh, getting us to compartmentalize our lives. And uh, Tim Keller says a great example of this one is the mafia saying, yeah, but I treat my mother really good. <laughs> These are all ways that we're tempted to minimize what God's expectation of us are and to maximize the importance of who we are and what we need and what we deserve. Now, the other side of it is not temptation, but accusation. And this minimizes God's love and mercy and takes a low view of self. So accusations. You are not worthy. You're not any good. You're never going to amount to anything. By the words, some of us actually have heard in our family of origins. And what it says is that God doesn't love you enough to love you in the condition you are or with the things you've done. And it just takes a very low view of God's ability to love you no matter where you are. You're not deserving. You're not worthy. So that sounds like uh, this. Uh, it's causing us to look uh, more at our sin than our Savior. But you know, a little kid, what do they they teach you when you take parenting classes that you should praise your kid five times for every one time you correct them, right? I know it didn't happen on our home. I I, I reversed the numbers. I'm a little dyslexic, but um, (laughs) one of the things we find in our Christian journey is that we spend, if we spend so much time worrying about our sin 
and not the incredible love and character of our Savior, we're never going to move past it. So maybe we should reverse that and just say, for every time I confess a sin, I need to, I need to identify and, and worship five of God's attributes. So we're looking too much at our sin, not enough at our Savior. I, Nick said something last night. I think he said it again today. He said, hey, let, and he's talking about worship and, and the truth that we were about to sing. He goes, let's lay our hands on that. And I was like, well, let's lay our hands on who God is. Confess who we've been, but let's lay our hands on who God is. Let's get hold of that. That'll change us. Um, how about this one? By causing us to obsess over past sins that have caused damage that cannot be undone. Have you ever just revisited your stupidity before I fully committed my life to Christ? And then sometimes after. I have done some stupid, stupid, biblically sinful things. And yet, God still loves me. I'm still forgiven. I'm still going to heaven. He's still got a purpose for my life. And yet, I have to tell you that that particular one has derailed me at times in my life. There were a number of years that I lived with a memory haunting me of something I had done. And you're going, ah, it's not that big a deal. It was a big deal to me, and I knew it was outside of God's will. And the one who helped me find deliverance from that was I knew intellectually I'd been forgiven. I knew scripture, God promised you to take our worst sins and throw them in the deep sea and forget them about it. I couldn't forget about it until one day I confessed it to my wife. I remember we were driving. I told her about it. I didn't, you know when you're driving and you're, you're really vulnerable and you don't want to look? You know, you're telling them and you're like, how are they reacting, you know? And she was, she was such a, a channel of God's grace in that moment. Honey, have you, have you confessed that? Absolutely. Have you done everything you need to do with that? I absolutely have. Then let's stop carrying it. God's in control. His grace is sufficient. Quit doubting his grace. Let's go forward. And in that moment, it's just like, and don't think that those thoughts don't come back to me every once in a while. But I go back to that moment when I accepted forgiveness. I was forgiven when I confessed it, but I hadn't accepted it. I hadn't, I hadn't laid my hands on the forgiveness. One of the things that the enemy does, he tries to drag us down with some of this, our own stuff. Um, by causing us to think uh, the bad things that happen in our life are punishments from God. I saw a friend who had grown up in church, and I don't know what... It's not, the, it's not the theology of the denomination he grew up in because I know that denomination. But somehow he got the, in his head that every bad thing he had done was always a punishment from God. And he never could grasp that God acts redemptively toward us. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for our sins. You're still going to have to pay for those on some level, but it's not God punishing you. God has forgiven you. Remember where you put your sin? In the deepest ocean. So, you know, well, I was a bad, I, I, you know, I cheated on my taxes. My wife got cancer. Well, yeah, you, the IRS is going to punish you for that, not God. And let's pray your wife through to healing on this side because it's not from God, okay? So let's not get confused about that. Um, by making us think that because of our inner struggles, we cannot possibly be a Christian. I got news for you. Christians think really bad thoughts all the time. But by God's grace, and according to scripture, we take captive every thought and the ones that are not pleasing to God, we throw them out and replace them with grasping of who God is, gratefulness and gratitude. So one of the things that we need to come to grips with to do war and battle in our own spiritual journey is whether, so maybe I should ask you this. Do you find your, your um, more often 
derailed by temptation or accusation. Just think about it. For me, I'd say both all the time. But the reality is, is there are certain weaknesses we have, certain attack points in our life that Satan will come after us. And, and, and it, by the way, I'm not, I'm not always concerned about stopping to identify the cause of what I'm going through. Because it could be Satan or it could just be me messing up again. I mean, I got plenty of stuff going on. Just I don't need Satan's help. I could screw this up on my own. And the point is that I'm not sure what the origins are. And I don't want to honor the evil one by even trying to figure it out. I just know that if I'm in temptation or I'm in a, in a place of accusing myself, I think I'm higher than I am. I think I'm lower than I am. I'm thinking less of God and less of God. If I find that, I realize that there is a trigger happening here. Something is triggering this thing, all right? It's the self-talk. So here's the deal. Remember when I said a while ago that, um, that reality is when, uh, when, uh, when, you, when you, whatever you run into when you're wrong, right? The self-talk that leads you to sin will indicate what it is he's using in your life. Is it thinking too low of yourself, thinking too high of yourself, not appreciating God's love and mercy or not appreciating God's holiness? Be aware of those temptations that lead you into those. So if you find yourself a lot of the time just wallowing in it, well, he's lying to you about God's ability to love you, forgive you, and raise you up. If you find yourself giving in and again, again and again, well, it's okay, it's no big deal, and justifying your sin, well, you're not taking God serious. And you're being lied to, and you're, being, and you're getting used. This is really good stuff, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel see, so many people who want to be a Christian, and they try to do it by keeping the rules or having the right ideas, but this is about an ongoing relationship with God Almighty. And it's about a war that's happening inside your mind and my mind, all of our minds. And I can't fix what's happening in Europe, but I can, with God's help, I can, I can work on this. Um, so how do you go to battle? First of all, know the devices that Satan uses on you. Recognize by your self-talk where you're headed and, and short-circuit that and change, change out that self-talk, that self-justification for God's promises. Um, and then uh, put on the armor of God. I don't have time to go into the whole armor of God. The second half of the sermon is the armor of God. But let me just give you, uh, just give you a thought on that. The gospel, the truth that you run into when you're wrong, the truth, the real reality, the ultimate reality, is that there is God and there is evil and that Christ came to deliver you from all evil. And in that gospel is the armor, armor of God to know God well enough to recognize the errors when they creep in about God being more, being, he's ultimately loving, but he's also just, about being God more or less than he really is, um, and, and giving into temptation and accusation. Here is the truth. Both sides of this equation are true of me. I am a sinner unworthy of having a relationship with God or being used by God. But I am a forgiven sinner by a loving God who came to forgive me. I'm not going to live there, and I'm not going to live there. I'm going to live with God in that place that he has called me to, a place of love and restoration and peace. Even though the battle rages on around me and sometimes within me, I am called to peace. If you read on, you will find that the armor of God 
are about equipping yourself when those bad thoughts come, when those temptations present themselves. When those happen, you are ready. You are ready with the truth. You are ready by protecting yourself with peace. You've got the helmet of salvation on which reminds you that the outcomes are already determined in your life. You're going to heaven. It reminds you that you've got to stand. And by the way, the word stand is not like this. It is like this. And the word, the, the word there for shoes is cleats. Roman soldiers had nails on the bottom to give them traction. This is it right here. It's not an aggressive, offensive stand. There's only one thing in that list of armor of God that is offensive, and it is the word of God. If you remember in the, in, in the wilderness when Jesus is being tempted, in his 40 days, what did, he, what did he battle with? The only offense he had was the sword, the word of God. And every time Satan tempted him with something, he came back with a promise from God, a thing about God's character. So, thanks, Doyle. This has been really uplifting, and I really appreciate it. I'm just full of joy now. So here's the deal, guys. I see so many Christians living defeated lives because they don't even realize they're in a battle. But it's not a battle against some great strong man. It's more like wrestling with a 12-year-old. I don't want you to underestimate what a 12-year-old could do. That's when I got stabbed with a pen in the back. (laughs) But it's still a 12-year-old. I took that sucker down (laughs) so fast. He screamed uncle so loud. I don't want us to live in fear, but I don't want to live, as a, live in denial. There's evil in the world. And there are evil thoughts that you have. And there's even some evil in your own heart. But with God's help, we just take it down. Make it cry uncle. Kick it out. Let's not put up with it. Certainly we can't fix all the evil in the world. Jesus has already done that, and someday it'll come to full fruition, and it will be obvious to everyone. But we can take care of the evil in us, and we can work with God's help to take care of the evil in our family by not feeding it, by preparing for it. It starts with me and you. We want to see the evil taken care of in our city? Start with yourself. Start with your family. Let's see what God can do. But let's not be naive. Let's not live in fear. Let's walk in victory because we realize that the only way to have victory is if you realize you're in a contest. The only way to have victory is to realize you've been in a fight. You've been in a battle. You can take this 12-year-old because you've got God. You've got God. But don't deny that it's happening because you get your lunch eaten. You get stabbed in the back. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. I am so grateful that you have taught us In your word, the Apostle Paul writing, maybe even as he's chained to a soldier right next to him, describing his outfit and equating it to spiritual armor. Lord, I thank you that Paul was aware that there are spiritual forces at work in the world. And that he wasn't afraid. He wasn't wasn't even afraid of the soldier next to him. Lord God, he just helped us. Helped us by writing down what we need to do to be victorious in this battle. Every one of us, if we're honest, we realize that there's battle in our own mind between our own desires, our own urges, many of which are not good, and what we know is right. So Lord, help us to step in to you, to put on all the armor that we need to live victorious lives 
so that we might begin to live in a world that is less given to evil, less unaware of evil, and less bad. We can begin that process by serving you and knowing you and being aware. Lord, help us to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And, uh, and on your way out, just turn to somebody and go, phew, that was a rough one. Go ahead. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.